This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. Judge Julie is on her way. She is hitting the road and travelling. Auckland coming out of lockdown, so you'll get to hear about that. We've got a couple of emails that we're going to answer. We haven't had enough opportunity to do that, Barry, and get back to our listeners who have kindly sent in emails for us to answer because we've had so much other guff going on. So I'm going to let the wise old owl answer it. You better tell our listeners what the questions are. Is forsuit forcing game force or forcing for one more round? What do you do? That listener was particularly more interested in one particular sequence, which is a bit tricky. Ah, that's right. Yes, yes. One club, one diamond, one heart, one spade. What could be simpler? (laughs) We've got it all covered now. And now are we forcing to game or what? Well, you've got two options there, haven't you, Mariana? When it goes, your partner opens a club and you bid a diamond and your partner bids a heart, you can now bid one spade, which is the fourth suit. Listeners, you know, a lot of people play that forsuit forcing is either forcing for a round or forcing the game, and I'll get back to them in a minute. But you also have the choice of bidding two spades in that situation. So it could go one one diamond, one heart, two spades. So you have got a choice of meanings for those two. I think most people probably agree that one of those bids is natural in forcing the game and the other one isn't. I think they'd probably agree that usually that two spades is natural in forcing the game, whereas one spades is forcing the game but doesn't show spades. Or there might be a lot of people that haven't discussed the difference between one spade and two spades, which is also there as well. So I would suggest that you do talk about that, but that still doesn't resolve the problem, which I've been skirting around, of what do you do when you don't have enough to force the game and you've bid one diamond and you'd like to bid your spades, but you haven't got enough points to force the game. Maybe you've only got a few points. If you've got an invitational hand, you can probably get by. You can probably survive by making some sort of invitational bid, although you still won't be able to bid your spades. So I guess the answer is that if you don't have enough to force the game, once your partner opens one club, if you've got diamonds and spades, even if your diamonds are longer than your spades, perhaps you should consider bidding your spades because you're probably only going to get one bid. If you happen to have a diamond slam, you might miss out there, but there's no reason why you still can't find your diamonds. If partner opens a club and you bid a spade without having bid your diamonds, well, partner can reverse into diamonds if they have diamonds. Yeah. So there are still some possibilities there. I guess what I'm saying is if you do not have a strong hand, but you do have at least six points, if you've got a major and a minor and only a few points, sometimes it's a good idea just to bid the major because we all know majors are where it's at. I know. Honest Joe, the bridge player really wouldn't even consider they've got five diamonds and four spades and they're piddly spades. They wouldn't consider bidding spades over diamonds, Barry. Come on. 
Well, you, you're probably right, but they may find they run into a problem later. Honest Joe, the bridge player, there's an awful lot of people that with a balanced 15 to 17 will open a club and whatever their partner bids over it, they'll rebid a no trump to show a balanced 15 to 17, even if it means skipping over a major like spades, they'll yeah. just rebid a no trump. Now, I'm not saying that's definitely right, but there are a lot of people that do it because it gets across their shape and their point count. So if you're sitting there with only seven points and you haven't bid your major, you might have missed out on your major fit there. So honest Joe, maybe <laughs> you should reconsider about bidding a major or bidding a minor if you have not got so many points and you're only going to have probably one bid. Okay. Is there any merit in accepting four suit forcing to game rather than just one more round? I think, the, I mean, I certainly play it as forcing to game. And I think that's pretty general these days. There will be people who play it as a one-round force. But my feeling is that it's more common for people to play it as forcing to game. That certainly takes the pressure off your options. You know, you bid this fourth suit at the one level or the, even the two level, and you've got all of the two and three level to explore what is the best game without having to worry that partner's going to pass sometime below game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so that's I prefer to play it as forcing the game because it just takes the pressure off. All right. And the other comment that we had from a listener email that we quite liked was about when we had our discussions about upgrading and downgrading some hands. So take us through the email, Barry. The email said something along the lines of that they frequently upgraded their 14 counts to call it a 15 to 17 one no trump opening to the extent where they describe their one no trump openings as once upon a time they probably described it as a good 14 to 17 but actually they opened just about all 14s they now describe it as 15 to 17 but it could be a shit 14 fairy jones <laughs> what there, are words. there are better words to that use our, than that what about the word that was our esteemed listener it wasn't me I know, but you could have said, but it could be a rubbish 14. You could. <laughs> anyway, so what the next step, of course, was people said, why don't you just call your no Trump 14 to 17 if you're going to open most 14s? And they said, well, the trouble is if we do that, of course, we'll start upgrading some of the 13s. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very slippery slope. We all know playing 12 to 14, no Trump, and then you start slipping in the occasional 11 count, right? Yep. And finally start describing it as 11 to 14, even though we're really playing 12 to 14. Partners open so many 11s. I don't want Judge Julie on my case. <laughs> I call it 11 to 14. There are no secrets at the bridge table. But you know what happens next, don't you, Mariana? You yep. pick up a really chunky looking 10 count with a five card suit and lots of intermediates and you think well this looks better than that horrible 11 i opened the previous hand on that why don't i upgrade that yeah, i know so, so it is a very slippery slope so that's that's one of the reasons for perhaps saying our, our range is 15 to 17 but we open quite a lot of 14s somebody upgraded a 14 to call it 15 they had lots of 10s and 9s and 8s in their long suits it wouldn't have been everybody's cup of tea to upgrade it these people did upgrade it and their partner with their 16 count wouldn't shut up until they got to slam <laughs> Sla 
paid, so it was a success story. It doesn't always work out that way. Well, that's always the case, isn't it? Because partner generally takes everything you bid at face value. So be careful out there, Pete. If you're going to upgrade, don't go whopping on at your partner if they get all excited and don't stop. I opened four spades on the weekend and we weren't vulnerable and the opponents were. And always the best time is <laughs> the best time to do something a bit off the rails. There's a bit more room for error when you're not vulnerable than they are. So I opened four spades and it went past, past, past. And they led and my partner had said to her screen mate, because I couldn't hear, that passing was the hardest thing to do. She had three aces, Mariana. She had yeah. a really good hand. She had like a 16 count or something. Anyway, so she passed and I think I made five spades. <laughs> it was certainly no danger of making any more. Um, <laughs> probably says something about my four spade openers. Jenny's screen mate said, don't worry, Barry would never have opened with a good hand. <laughs> Well, come on, honest Joe, the bridge player. What was your hand that you opened four spades with? Did it have eight or did you only have seven? Mariana, perhaps you could edit this out later on so that nobody hears, but I only had six, but they were really good ones. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I had I had shape. I had another suit and, you know, and, and the vulnerability was in my favour. And luckily, my partner didn't take me too seriously. Wow. Were you sweating <laughs> when you did that, Barry? What's that? Were you sweating when you thought about what you were going to do? And can you tell me, did you bid it in tempo? Oh, absolutely. What had actually happened was we were playing in a 12-board match. In the first match, something good had happened which I fail to remember now, but something good had happened. And this was the second board, and I thought, you really want to sort of stamp something on the match here. If I open four spades here, and they're going to look at that and think the man is a lunatic. And then for the next 10 boards, I'll be able to just behave. I won't have to do anything. And they're going to be always thinking that I'm up to something, right? That was my plan, Mariana. I'm not saying it always works. Sometimes a man's got to do what a man's got to do. Oh, my God. Wonder how Jenny puts up with it. Okay. What did she say actually about that? We're going to be talking with Pam later, and you're going to hear what Pam's statement is that she put down for us to discuss. Did your partner say anything? No, she didn't. She didn't say. Fancy opening four spades on that pile of junk. King Queen Jack to six. I had Mariana. Right. Okay. Somebody wants that if you've got really good trump, it's hard for people to double you. I don't know whether there's any truth in that story. True. Good on you. One for you. Yeah, it worked that time. Get your gumboots on. We're going down to the pond with Kermit. Phenomena. 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 Good morning, Kermit. How's your day? My day's been pretty good, thank you. Good weather for frogs. Well, it is, and I'm really glad I mowed the lawn yesterday because I don't think I'll get a chance for the next couple of days. Okay, so this week's topic comes in the form of a statement, and my statement is, I'm being very helpful when I point out at the table my partner's mistakes. Discuss. <laughs> oh, oh, how much time you got, Kermit? Ah, oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? What I do know is that... When I'm at the table, I try my absolute damnness not to make a comment, but I do quite often lose the bet with myself before my partner pipes up 
But I do make a conscious effort not to do that. If I want it so badly to make a comment, I actually write it down because I'm normally keeping score. So I write it down, think about it later. But okay, something... so note to self, when I'm playing with Mariana and she writes something down, I'm in really big trouble. <laughs> it's the tell. Yes, it is. It's when one of you is keeping the score in a team's match and partner puts a big black cross alongside of board eight. <laughs> And you think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's an interesting topic because for partnerships to go forward, they have to be able to discuss times where things have gone wrong. And the things that can go wrong are that the partnership has a, a misunderstanding or someone hasn't quite performed as well as expected and partnerships need to find a way through it. But it actually seems to be that bringing it up at the table and helpfully commenting on someone's mistake seems to have the opposite effect of what's intended. So I'm really, really, as an R-A-R-E-L-Y, seeing someone's play improve after they've been bollocks by partner. I don't know, maybe you have, but... <laughs> Actually, slightly off topic, but not entirely. I can remember hearing somebody tell me once they were playing in an international event many years ago for one of the New Zealand teams, and her and her partner were virtually not on speaking terms after a, a certain period of time, and it yeah. was really unpleasant. They really detested each other deeply, and they were both so determined that they were not going to be the one to make a mistake because they wouldn't give their partner the satisfaction. I might be narrowing it down a bit here, but they actually won a fairly major international event in this team they were playing in. I don't know what that proves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it does help. Maybe it just depends on the person. I, I think yeah. what, in general, it probably doesn't help. That would be an exception. <laughs> <laughs> we're all different though aren't we and we thrive on, on different things but whether it happens at the table or not you have to be able to discuss things I guess in the spirit of going forward and whether you know you can work out a way to take the emotion out of it because we're all you know little vulnerable people aren't we and none of us like making mistakes maybe oh finding a code word I don't know something <laughs> Does the one that starts with F be a good code word? <laughs> well, um, that's a very helpful suggestion there, Mariana, and I'm just not sure how many people are going to take that up. <laughs> yeah, I know. That would be terrible. You often you say, well, we're not, we don't want to talk about it at the table. We don't talk. That's all good. You know, we'll talk about it later. But if later never comes, well, that's no good either. Actually, if you're going to say you're going to talk about it later, talk about it later. Don't not talk about it and have one partner or the other fuming away about it and never resolve some things. That's very good advice, Barry. And you do want to resolve issues, but there's a bit of a bigger picture when you're actually playing, isn't there? Like if you're actually playing a tournament, you want partner or even at your club, you want people to feel good and like they're on top of their game. So pointing out when things have gone wrong actually doesn't help that at all. I'll tell you who it does help. 
it helps the opponents. They love it. <laughs> yeah, true. There's no doubt it only makes things worse at the table, except for that example I just gave. Except but... for that one example. Maybe some people do play better after they've been told off. I don't know. I, I know for me they... personally, it's a definite no. <laughs> I don't yeah, think, I think you'd have many people disputing that. I just want to point out that it's no good just never talking about it again and never resolving it. And then it comes up again next week and you still haven't discussed it. Yes, I'm definitely in that camp. You have to resolve the issue. You have to talk about it. Some people, of course, don't want to talk about issues away from the table. So that makes it tricky. Some, Particularly, maybe even at club level, they walk away. They don't want to talk about it. They just want to come back next week and play again. Oh, that can make it tricky too. Well, if you both agree to that, that's fine. If you're yeah. both happy with that, then that's fine. If you're happy and the other one's not, then you have a problem. Yes, then you've got problems all right. So there you go. There was a great discussion. Thank you guys on my statement. Oh, I don't know. I'm still thinking about the person that wants to deflate their tyre and they haven't had the opportunity because the partner wants to talk about it later and it's like, hang on, I'm holding my breath and turning blue here. I'd like to discuss it now. Well, I've got another thing, just a little hand grenade that I'll just throw in here. I said in my statement that I think that I'm being well-meaning and wanting to, to point out partners' mistakes. But I think there's the odd personality type that wants to make partner look bad to deflect any focus on what they've done. I'm just putting Ooh. that out there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still think if you haven't got anything nice to say about that board, don't say it. Good advice. Keeping a partnership productive and on the right track, well, that's a whole challenge in itself, isn't it? Yeah, look after partner, preserve their dignity, I would say. But you're in a partnership, you need to be able to discuss stuff that comes up. Fair enough. Easier said than done sometimes. Like everything in Bridge Barrage, easier said than done. (laughs) Join us next week at the Lilypad. With Pam Livingston, Bridge Coach. See you. Hey, the results of this weekend. What happened? How'd you go? The youth team were our jewel in the crown. So well done, Jack James, Jeremy Fraser-Hoskin, Leon Mayer and Jacob Kalmer. They beat all the Indonesian and Australian youth teams handsomely to take out the training. Well done, lad. Other than that, the New Zealand teams didn't fare too well, although one of the open teams just managed to grab second. So that team was Peter Newell and Martin Reed, and they were playing with Mike Cornell and Ashley Bart. Okay. And the mixed team and the senior team and the women's? So the mixed teams finished fourth and fifth, and I think the seniors teams did about the same. And the women's team, I, don't know, I, I think they may have been about Maybe third, maybe they got third. I haven't got that in front of me. So really, basically, the youth team and the open teams, they were first and second. The other teams, the women's team was doing really well for a while, but just fell away a little bit at the end. Well, concentration, Barry. Is it harder to concentrate for these long games on Real Bridge? I mean, wait till you hear about Judge Julie's segment, people. Is it hard enough to concentrate on your game without having to put up with all that other rubbish? Yeah, there's a bit going on in some of these online matches, but uh, I think in general, in some ways, you sort of find it easier to concentrate online. Some people do because you don't have those distractions around the room, as you'll hear in the Judge Julie segment, that didn't always apply. 
<laughs> Coming up next, we're heading off to the courthouse. Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. Good morning, Judge Julie. How are you going today? Good, thank you. Things are happening up in your end of the woods, aren't they? They are changing by the minute. Well, I got the traffic report that said about heading south, and I thought that was a bit optimistic at three, when the border doesn't open till 11.59. Have you really been to the mall this morning, Julie? Yeah, I did, because it's bucketing with rain up here, and I did a uh, session of bridge in the afternoon, so I absolutely forgot about the radio show. Oh, that's okay. You were distracted, <laughs> weren't you? I was. Distracted <laughs> by freedom. And that leads <laughs> us to your question for the day. That's a good segue, isn't it, into playing online bridge. We were both playing in different teams, the Tri-Nations against Indonesia and Australia over the weekend. And there were all sorts of distractions, <laughs> like screaming, yelling, changing nappies, eating, drinking, all sorts of stuff. What do you do? Can the director really do anything about nappy changes? I would suggest that you're a bit stuck there because clearly, I mean, we had things where I was trying to cook meal because getting takeaways in is actually not the best for your concentration for the remaining two hours of a night that finishes at 10 o'clock. So there are things you just have to do when you're at home and there's not any catering or babysitting. Now, we don't know what the story is with overseas people because... We can't see what's happening in their households. But clearly, there were issues with noise and things for some people because they were playing from home. You can turn people's sound off when you're playing. The only thing you've got to watch out for is when they're trying to ask you a question. You can certainly turn them down, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing sometimes. <laughs> Wouldn't we all like that at the table? You know, just that switch that you could say, ah, I can't hear you anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> Your partner or your teammates, Julie? I'm not saying, Barry. I'm not saying. So what do you think you're going to have to cope with when we get back to face-to-face in 22, Julie? You think there's going to be a lot of added distractions when we go back to the tables? Yeah, well, it's sort of interesting. We've had some stuff with Real Bridge where people are more talkative at the table. They're more inclined to tell their partner about what they've got in their hand, which is just a little bit inappropriate. And the laws actually make it that you're just not allowed to tell your partner what you're looking at. Maybe we'll get some stuff that continues from that relax thing when we're online that will change once we get back to the club. I think possibly immediately, particularly in Auckland, our concern will be that people might not play at the club. This Wednesday is 120 days since we went into lockdown. So it's been a long time and we are not used to being in areas with, even the malls and not lots of people. When I went to St. Luke's today, there's lots of space. It is not crowded. It's not inhibiting or claustrophobic. So it will be interesting to see what happens, I presume in Auckland more than anywhere else at the moment when we get back. And then of course, we've got uncertainty still about what on earth's happening. You're heading down country this week, Julie. Yes, I'm going to pick up my grandson from Napier and drive down to Wellington where he lives. So he's visiting his other grandparents at the moment. And then I'm going to go down to Wellington for the week. And then I may end up actually taking a side trip to Blenheim. My father's just moved into a retirement village, which has been possibly a bit stressful. See him in Blenheim for a day and then come back and drive home. It's a bit of a side trip, isn't it, Barry? on the ferry and back again 
when Dad was in Blenheim, we were going to the Wairau Wines for lunch, which is right. a wonderful place to sit outside and have lunch. Tell them to listen to the radio show when I go there. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice wine, lovely food. And so I thought, well, if I do that, then I can get on the boat. I can put my feet up. I can get off. I can go to a vineyard. I can relax before oh, I come back to Auckland. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> so all the hospitality people, particularly all the coffee retailers between Auckland, Napier, Wellington, <laughs> Judge Julie is going to be on the road. <laughs> Patrick printed out a list that he found last year about all the best coffee shops in the country. So I've got to find that again, so I know where to stop on the way. You have to publicise that. She doesn't need to do that. they just got to look out for her number plate, Mariana, which is decaffeinated. Decaffeinated. Amazing. We can still talk to you even though you're in Wellington or wherever you might be. Yes, we'll absolutely. See. I'll be running around with a seven-year-old, but I'm sure we can sort out a time that we can do something. At least there won't be nappy changes while we're doing the Bridge Zone next week at seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? I mean, we've had complaints, people talking to their partners. You've got to be careful, not just talking about the hands, but actually about how wrong somebody was. And that's a big issue at the table. So you can call the director if everything gets overwhelming. The other thing you can do is ask people to stop until you've left the table. Right. Right. Okay. Because you don't have to listen to people argue. I mean, it's really unpleasant. So if things are really unpleasant, apart from not muting them, which you can do online, the other thing is call the director, or if you don't really want to call the director, and we always feel embarrassed, is to say, look, I'm sorry, I just don't want to listen to this. Mm-hmm. I've done that and once. See, one of the easy things to do, I found, was because the mics are so sensitive, you occasionally turn your mic off, and then you start talking to somebody and forget you haven't turned it back on again. <laughs> Yeah, very easy to do. Very, very easy. Well, you drive safe. We will see you next week. All okay, right, Julie. Okay. Have a good trip. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to playing some overseas tournaments. I actually haven't even thought about it, but I've decided since what Pam said last week, I'm going to have a look. Is there much difference in how you play you know I'm playing club bridge on real bridge is there much is the stress level any higher or is it just another game I think you'll find it too much harder at all Mariana in fact I think you'll love it when we've got a face-to-face tournament coming up in Wellington on the weekend uh, there's a big teams event being held over two days this weekend so lots of people going to be meeting face-to-face in Wellington just prior to Christmas so that'll be great After that, I see that the Thames Festival looks to be cancelled online from what I can see. So they're not going to have it online or anything. I'm pretty sure that's right. Somebody better contact us if they're not. It looks as if it's cancelled. Next event you can play on is the Canberra Summer Festival. It's all online, Mariana. Oh, what's those dates, Barry? Um, I think they start on about the 13th of January and runs right through to about the 22nd of January. There's lots of separate events you can play in you know, just one day or two day events that you can plan, yeah. you can pick and choose. The benefits of online bridge, if you're over there, you sort of feel like you should play every day. But when you're playing from home, you can just say, oh, we'll play this one. We'll go to the beach for a couple of days and then we'll come back and play the teams on the weekend or, or whatever. So there's lots of options there. Have a look at that. We were actually going to play in part of that. And there's quite a few Kiwis entered already. Hey, I'll tell you what, Barb and I are jumping in the Falcon and we're going to head up and play the three nights of the Papatoe Christmas Pears. I've done that lots of times. It is a good event to play in. It's a lot of fun. 
I haven't seen very many entries on there yet, but people, if you are keen to have some face-to-face -face action very soon after Christmas, check out the Papatoi one. That's the 27th, 28th, 29th, something like that? Yep. So lots of bridge coming up. That one in the Babbage, 4th, 5th, 6th of January, and bridge is back better than ever. All right, people, see you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.